ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew 28 this morning. And uh, as, you're, as you're doing that, actually, let me, I did want to mention this. My, two of my kids asked me, what does Ubuntu mean? Because in Travis's name in there, it says Travis Ubuntu Shanahan. And uh, that was a nickname given to him a long time ago. It's an African word that means for the good of the people. But it, the reason that we put it with his name is that um, he used to put this software called Ubuntu on everything. In fact, he got the first iPhone, the very first one, and, and he put Ubuntu on it, and it, wouldn't, it, was, just, it was an iPod at that point. Uh, he ruined his whole iPhone doing it, and so we've just called him Ubuntu for years, and sometimes I forget and just stick it in there forgetting not everyone knows what it means. So anyway, that's what that means. Um, nothing crazy or weird, just a funny nickname. Uh, but Matthew 28, go ahead and make your way over there. Uh, so we're looking at our, our core values right now, this uh, last four weeks, three weeks. Um, so far we've looked at the, uh, the means of grace, we've learned what that meant. We've looked at uh, covenant family, covenant community, what that means. Last week we looked at the Sabbath part of Sabbath and worship. Uh, and today we're going to be learning about making disciples. Uh, and so we, we want, as a church, we, we long for, we desire to, to see the, the lost get saved, to, to come to Christ, right? We long to see... Uh, those who are, are baby Christians, who are young in the faith, immature in the faith, we long to see them grow up in the faith to be mature uh, believers. That's what we desire. And uh, this core value is seen throughout the scriptures, right? Uh, but it is probably most clearly, most bluntly expressed in those well-known words of our Lord that are uh, called the Great Commission. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So Matthew 28 is going to be our primary passage this morning. And, and we're going to read verse uh, 16 to the, to the end of it there. So if you will, just follow along. <clears throat> now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the obedience of your people to the Great Commission over many years and great distance through various peoples, this is how the gospel came to each of us. May we to carry it forward here and, and now in the place where you have us. May our message be pure and may we boldly trust the Holy Spirit to soften the hardest hearts to receive the gospel. May we all continue to be disciples, continue to grow in our faith, to make progress in our sanctification, our, our holiness, our godliness. Oh God, to, despite our inability to be perfect this side of glory and are knowing that, please give us a desire to be more and more like Jesus our Lord. This morning, make our hearts to be fertile ground for your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So the Jews, um, the disciples, all, you know, both of those groups there had just seen Christ crucified, right? This man they had been following, this man they hoped to be the Messiah, the man they thought was going to bring Israel to this political and military years of, of glory, right? They, they see him crucified. Now, because the disciples were followers of Christ, right, um, 
the Jews were ready to kill them as well. And they weren't doing so well in their relationship with the Romans as well. This, there's this tension, right, between the Jews, which the Christians were considered at this point, and the Roman government, right? It's very dangerous. And then you had the relationship between the Christians and the Jews was very dangerous at this moment, um, right? The, the Jews wanted to see Rome be free. The Romans wanted to just see these strange people with their strange traditions be normal and peaceful, uh, the political climate, in, in some regards, has some similarities to ours today uh, in, in this regard, right? Rome was antagonistic to, to the Jews and later to Christians. The, the U.S. increasingly at least feels antagonistic towards Christianity. These similarities matter because I, I want you to see that when Jesus gives the Great Commission, it, it's into a, a difficult and dangerous setting, Right? It's into a place where, where they're already on the margins, not the center of the culture. It's into a place uh, where they aren't respected, where it isn't the glorious utopia that maybe they, they dreamed of, but, but a, a difficult place in a lot of regards for, for going out and making disciples. It's, it's also important to know that these are the last instructions that, that Jesus gives to his bride, to the church, to, the, to his people whom he purchased with his blood on the cross. In other words, these words are very, very intentional. And, and what does Jesus say with these instructions? He, he urges us to partake in a mission, the mission, the commission, right? The great commission. We, we often get distracted, but, but the mission is quite simple, isn't it? Just as, as Jesus made disciples, those disciples are now to make more disciples. Now, if we're fair, this is often wrongly understood to, to be this, right? Go, therefore, and make converts. That's the way, unfortunately, much of the modern church has, has understood this, right? And that's given rise to this, this push to see men and women and children to make some, some decision in the moment, right? Raise your hand to receive Christ, sign some sort of card, walk this aisle, all kinds of things attached to what we call, generally is called an altar call, right? So, so notice carefully, Jesus didn't say, go, therefore, and make converts, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. There's something deeper in mind here. And I don't say that so we can self-righteously pride ourselves with, oh, we don't have an altar call. We don't do things that way, right? This is, we don't do evangelism that way. That's not the point at all. The, the, the point here is, is I want to point out that at best, conversion is only the first step of the mission that Jesus has called his church to. It's like, uh, if, a, if a mother asked a, a father, right, hey, could you get the kids dressed and ready for school today? And, and he goes and he gets them dressed and they got like shoes and underwear on and then they're walking out the door. They're like, we're good to go. We're good. Uh, right? And, and in any case, you might say, well, he began the mission, but we wouldn't call that completing the mission. It's just, just getting started, actually. Um, <clears throat> right? Uh, discipleship is, is much more difficult mission than, than mere evangelism. Evangelism is great. We need to be active in that, but that's the beginning part, right? Let, let us remember that discipleship is, is the actual mission that we've been called to. And, and notice who Jesus says this to, right? It's, it's, it's the 11 of his disciples, right? These are the apostles, but, but it's not this special set-apart group in the sense of them being evangelists or missionaries, uh, the people that we tend to think of as specialists in this area nowadays, Right? It's to these disciples of Jesus, and they're to make more disciples, and it's this perpetual calling to all who would be disciples of Christ, including you, including me. And so let's, let's look at our text in a little more detail, starting in verse 16, where it says, 
Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And again, these disciples, right, have just seen Jesus put to death on a cross. You, you can imagine they're, they're feeling some uh, anxiety, some concern. You know, we could probably be next if they know we're associated with him. And yet Jesus directs them, you don't go hide. You're going to go travel out in the open and go to the place where I'm telling you to go, to this mountain. Even in this moment, they obediently go where the Lord sends them. And then verse 17 tells us, when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Right? Those two groups there, they're, they're, some worshipped. That's expected. Of course they worship. The really shocking part is that we're talking about the 11 apostles, the 11 disciples, and some doubted. Jesus. They've followed him for a few years now. Jesus, who they've seen do countless miracles. Jesus, who they saw die on a cross. Most of them saw him die on the cross. They have all seen him alive on this mountain at this point. And some of them doubt? How? Why? Right? Maybe they just can't make sense of the resurrection any more than many people struggle to today. I don't know the exact reason for why. What I love about this, though, is pay close attention because Jesus, he doesn't just condemn them. He doesn't just spit them out in this moment, right? He doesn't reject those disciples who are struggling with this doubt. He doesn't just say, you've got doubts after all this? Leave. Get out of here. That's not who our Lord is. Instead, our Lord encourages them. He points them back. He points them back where they need to look. They point them back to who Jesus is. Verse 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the foundation of Jesus' call for his church to make disciples. Notice, notice the scope of this, just how wide that is, right? Not this region of authority has been given to me. All of it, right? It's wide. It's complete. All authority belongs to Jesus because God the Father has given all authority to Jesus the Son. In case you're, you're wondering, all right, so what's in this all authority? What does it actually include, right? Let's, I'll give you a few. Mark 2, 5, right? We, we see it is the authority, God, or Jesus has the authority to forgive sins as he forgives the sins of the paralytic man there. 1 Timothy 2, 5, we learn that Jesus has sole authority to mediate between God and man. Luke 24, 45, we, we see that Jesus has authority to open the hearts and the minds of men and women. Uh, John 15, 26, we learn that Jesus has the authority to send the Holy Spirit to dwell within his people in you. In, in John 10, 27, and 28, we learn that Jesus has authority to, to give the gift of eternal life to whomever he so desires. John 6, 40, right? And that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how hard someone's heart is and how much they hate God, how much they deny the existence of God. He can, he can give faith to whoever he desires. John 6.40, we see that it is Jesus who has authority to raise up Christians from the grave on the last day. And this list could go on and on and on and on into every little bitty detail of authority until everything is placed under the sovereign rule of Jesus Christ. And that's because there are absolutely no boundaries to the power, to the jurisdiction of our Lord, of his authority. So we, we need to know this because... His authority is the, is the weight behind that word, therefore. You see it in verse 19. Hopefully you have it in front of you, right? Um, which is where we find our vocal, focal point this morning. Verse 19, I'll read it again. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. 
And, and this is a fantastic missionary passage. It is, it is, uh, but it's significant. It's, it's far grander than, than merely missionaries going to faraway nations and cultures to share the gospel. And, and so this morning, I want us to focus on that go aspect, on the, on the make, the, uh, rather than the go aspect, the make disciples aspect of it, right? Because for now, the, the place where God has called you to be is right where you are. You, you may have grown up in this town, right? This has been your whole life here. Or you might have roots that are in some faraway town, city, somewhere else, and, and this is just where God's brought you, right? Most of you, against your own will, are here. Uh, I know from hearing the stories, right? But Kansas is not that bad. Uh, this is where God has brought you. Uh, okay, so in, if you're a Christian, a, a disciple of, of Jesus Christ, then, then the call on your life here and now is to make disciples in this city, on this campus, on this post, wherever the Lord has you actually spending your days, wherever he has you interacting with people on the weekends through whatever interactions you have, right? This is where you are. It's certainly true that, that movement's in view in verse 19, but, but movement for you might mean going to class tomorrow with a deep understanding that Jesus has authority over the campus. It might also mean that you remember that Jesus has authority over your lab, over your office, over whatever little room you're stuck in, you know, working from home right now, uh, and the people you're going to interact with on that screen. Or, or while you shepherd the, the hearts of, of your children before bedtime this evening. When, when Jesus says we are to go and make disciples of all nations, he meant far away places, but he also meant right next door. And, and so my challenge to, to us today is, is towards the more ordinary, the more often neglected opportunity to make disciples here and now. So what is a, a disciple? Uh, Stephen small man writing for By Faith, our denominational magazine, gives this simple definition. He says, a disciple of Jesus is a person who has heard the call of Jesus and has responded by repenting, believing the gospel, and following Jesus. And this means that our discipleship is going to look different uh, at, depending upon where people are in, in their current walk right then, where they are, right? I mean, if, you, if, if I said, hey, I want you to go and, and build a house at such and such location, and I give you some address, right? And when you show up and you say, oh, there's a wooded lot. There's no place for a house here. You'd begin clearing trees. That would be the obvious place to start. Empty field, you might start building a foundation, right? If you show up and there's a foundation and someone's already framed out the house, you might start putting up walls or whatever the actual logical next step is. I don't know. Uh, what this means, though, is that if, if someone is, is not a Christian, our, our disciple is going to start one place, right? It's going to start with, with painting this picture of, of, of that we're sinners, of our need of a, a savior, right? It's going to depend on where someone's at. Uh, there's there, there's a, a pastor in Texas who shared how as an unbeliever way back in high school, he, he became friends with a, a Christian guy named Chris. Uh, and one day the friend just stops by his locker. I love this story. He just stops by his locker and conversationally says, hey, uh, I need to tell you about Jesus. When do you want to do that? Like, what a great way to do that. <laughs> You know, you just tell me when, because I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And, and they met, and, and Chris told him about Jesus. And it, and, it, and it wasn't anything like, bam, he didn't come to faith right then. But Chris continued to meet with him, continued to talk to him, continued to answer his questions and pray for him and, and, and really disciple him even at that stage, right? And, 
And eventually he, he came to believe that Christ had, had died for him, right? Uh, believe the gospel, believe that he's set free from his, his, uh, his sins and the, the slavery of sin and all that, right? And his discipleship just continued with this, this kid for many years. Um, it's often more than one moment. And I think too much we put it into one moment. I will do one time interaction and we'll see what happens. But this discipleship says, no, I'm going to keep answering your question. We keep going. And, and that's kind of an evangelistic level, right? Um, and, and so our, disciple, our, our text here outlines disciple making well. Look back to verse 19 again. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Let's keep reading uh, to see how we do it. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus calls us to make disciples and, and we're to do that. Uh, one of the first aspects of someone after you know, coming to faith is this, this baptizing them in the name of the Trinity. And, and second, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded them. So baptism is, is primarily about the grace of God. Does it make a statement about our, our faith when someone's, you know, baptized? I mean, sure it does. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> and yet, you know, we love that. When, when someone has come to faith later in life and hasn't been baptized, we baptize them. We rejoice in that. We love that. They're coming into the covenant community. They're coming into this place of faith. It's, it's a part of their discipleship, and we love that. But like I said before, baptism is primarily about the grace of God. Uh, think about it. Whether, whether we're talking about adults or children in the covenant community, right? Baptism is this passive sacrament. It's something we receive. No one just goes and baptizes themselves and, you know, you know, it's not a buffet kind of situation. Uh, we receive it just like we receive grace and forgiveness and mercy at the hands of the Lord. In, in this text, we, we see the connection between baptism and discipleship. When, when, when I received, the, the, you know, baptism as an adult, it was a step towards obedience to Christ who, who calls his disciples to be baptized. It, it marked me. It was a, a sign and a seal that I am included in this covenant community. These are my people. This is where I'm going to be discipled. This is where I belong. When, when my son received um, infant baptism, or baptism as an infant, it was about discipleship also. It marked him as belonging to this community. It, it meant he would be discipled, that he'd be taught the word of God and prayed for and with, and, and that he was going to grow as a disciple of Christ within this covenant family. And, and there is a continuous, lifelong aspect of discipleship that Jesus instructs us towards. Right? We see that very explicitly. Verse 20, Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Uh, because of the focus on the evangelistic aspect of discipleship today, these, these last words here, these, these words of our Lord are often neglected. If we are to make disciples, and, and we are, we, we must be teaching each other to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. What, what this means is, is God is not an advisor in your life. Hey, have you considered this? Uh, right? Uh, he is your Lord. That's who Jesus is. He is your Lord. I think I saw on Isaac's shirt today, Jesus is, is Lord, right? That's the statement of, of, of who Christ is. Now, now, now listen, if you are not a disciple of Jesus yourself, you, you certainly won't be able to show anyone else how to be one. Not well. In, in high school, I, uh, I, I played on a, a soccer team. We had this, this great coach. He understood the game well. He coached well. Uh, we, he was just a fantastic coach. Uh, however, every year, they, we, they, you know, we'd have this assistant coach, 
And I remember one year them giving us Coach Sabotic. He didn't want to do this. Just some football coach gets forced into soccer. You're the assistant coach this year. Uh, and this guy, incredible football coach, but knew nothing about soccer. Um, I can remember spending an entire day trying to explain offsides to him, and he just couldn't get there. Uh, as the whole team were like, no, if you do that, anyway. Um, right? And, and, and he, he couldn't care less about soccer. He couldn't know less about soccer. And, and it was just a rough time. And he, he didn't know where to begin, right? So... Um, we didn't grow at all at that time. There was, there was no actual growth going on. He wasn't able to explain anything because he, didn't, he wasn't a disciple of soccer, if you will, uh, in any sense, right? Anyway, my, my point is this. If you're not an actual disciple of Christ, then you're going to be of no use in, in making disciples. You must be following Christ yourself. In other words, the, the, the blind leading the blind on a Grand Canyon hike that's not a fantastic plan. And, and so the question I, I want you asking in your, your heart this morning is, is how, is, how in my life am, am I making my own discipleship a, a priority, right? That's a starting off point. How are you being discipled? When and where am I hearing the Word of God? Who's challenging me to greater obedience to the Word of God? Take time to think about those questions, to, to find answers for them. How is your life, how in your life are you, are you making your own discipleship an actual priority? Now, now look again to our text. I want you to notice something else. Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, teach them to know all that I have commanded you. He says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. That, that's actual obedience. That's very different than just knowing it. I think too often, we're probably more susceptible to this in a, as Reformed people, in fact, to just keep, give me more knowledge, more theological knowledge. I want to know these really deep theological things, and, 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 and there's not much emphasis put at times on, on actually observing, right, all that Christ has commanded us. So Kevin DeYoung, speaking in regards to this, says, we are teaching the nations, we are teaching the nations to follow Jesus' commands. The Great Commission is about holiness. God wants the world to know Jesus, believe in Jesus, and obey Jesus. We don't take the Great Commission seriously if we don't help each other grow in obedience. This is not moralism. Moralism neglects the grace of God. Moralism cares nothing for the gospel. It is about performance that is detached from the Holy Spirit. It is a way of, of trying to earn your, 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 the love from God, trying to gain his approval through works, right? And, and rather than uh, a response to the love of God, right? Uh, the, the obedience that we see in the Great Commission is a response to the love of Christ for us. It is not done in the hope that, you know what, if you do a good job, then, then maybe Jesus' death on the cross, that'll be for you, right? It's a response to the unexpected truth that Jesus did die on the cross for you. And in that act of love, Jesus has set you free from the chains of sin so that you can now begin to live in obedience to the Lord. It's because of what Christ has done for us already. And so what does this mean for us as a church? It's a, it's a core value because we desire to see God use us, all of us, all of us, to make actual disciples, to, to share the gospel with unbelievers, Listen, you, you, you have interaction with people that I will never, ever get an opportunity to talk to. 
If you're expecting those that are in vocational ministry, the campus ministers, myself, uh, you know, even the elders, if that's the way apostle discipleship is going to happen, it's not going to happen well. This is a call on the, on the whole church. You Truly, you have access and relationships we will never have with people. And praise the Lord for it. Those are wonderful things, wonderful places for you to work. And so, right, to, to make actual, we want to share the gospel with, with unbelievers. We, we also want to encourage one another towards greater sanctification. Not, not just more theological knowledge, which is good, but more actually being like Jesus. Some of us don't need to know more theology, honestly. We know so much. Some of us just need to know, take the theology we know and put it into real life practice to really live it out. That, that's, you know, but, but, but we do. We, we still want you learning and teaching and under the word and that's where you're going to get it. This is why we do, you know, expository preaching, right? That big idea. We're just, we preach through books of the Bible usually. Um, not just topics. Because like Paul says in Acts, we, we don't want to shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And not just the preaching, but, but the songs that we sing, the, the corporate confessions that we make, the prayers that we pray, the, the, the liturgy that we participate in together. These are all intended to disciple our hearts, to bring us back to the gospel each and, and every week. To remind us of how amazing God is. To remind us of the grace that we receive in the gospel. The discipleship is, is also why we organize Christian education, whether it be Sunday school or small groups or men's, women's, uh, youth Bible studies, uh, things of that nature. We, we desire us all to be growing in maturity, growing in our understanding of God's word, of the gospel, growing in our love of Christ and our love and, you know, our, our observance, our obedience to the commands of Christ, which, which means if we're really going to embrace discipleship within this covenant community and I keep saying this on a lot of these issues we come around to but it means we're going to need to be vulnerable to let down our walls a little bit Tim Keller once said that churches should feel more like the waiting room for a doctor and less like the waiting room for a job interview here's what he means by that uh, in job interviews right we, we want to look as competent as impressive as perfect as we possibly can to convince someone that we're the right person for them to hire. Uh, our weaknesses are buried and, and hidden. But when you sit in the doctor's office and you look around, you're not assuming everyone's, you know, these are all perfectly healthy people doing great. You, you assume they're all here because they need help with something. Even if it's just a checkup. This is much closer to the reality of what's going on in the covenant community. You, you, you can look around this sanctuary and, and see people who you might think, oh, they have it all together. I assure you, your eyes deceive you. I'm not saying everyone's falling apart either, but, right? And I'm not asking you to, to shout out your struggles, right? Don't just stand up and, uh, something like that. But, but in the community of the church, I'm asking you to let your walls down so that you can be known and be graciously encouraged. And I'm asking you all to encourage others when they let their walls down. We don't kick a, a brother or sister. Uh, further, let us live as examples of following Jesus to one another. People learn a great deal through example. The discipleship is no different, right? We, we tend to, uh, to worry when we, when we hear this idea, right? Like, oh, don't follow me. Uh, you know, it's an idea. Just, you, you kind of panic because you're not perfect, right? The, the Apostle Paul, though, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, 
Uh, this is the same guy who says, I'm the chief of sinners, right? Says, actually, he encourages imitation. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So let me encourage you to embrace the basic fact that others will imitate you. They do, whether you wish for them to do so or not. First uh, Timothy 4.12, right, this, this imitation is expected. It's, it's seen as a great discipling tool, which it says this, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Right? So according to that passage, let your words, your actions, how, how you love, your, your faith in Christ and the purity of your life be an example to others. But, but here's the thing, it's, it's got to be genuine. If, if you set the example of faking godliness, pretending you're perfect, the only thing you're really imitating is faking godliness, faking perfection. And so embrace this, right? Embrace that your children learn to pray by listening to you pray. Embrace that your, your friends are, are learning how a follower of Jesus responds to rudeness and stress and frustrations by how you respond to it. Embrace that our, our college students are, are learning about Christian marriage and parenting from, from watching your examples, from asking questions. And embrace that others will, will learn how to respond to their own sin by watching the way you respond, hopefully with repentance. You know, may we not set examples of complaining and, and disobedience and selfishness and whatever else you want to throw on that list, but rather li live as good examples by loving the Lord our God and loving our neighbor and by seeking to live in joyful, joyfully rather in, a, in accordance with God's word. So embrace that we are all disciples in process, while at the same time we are all disciples, called to be disciples, in the process of making disciples. Because why? Because Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth, and he calls you to do that. So let me ask you, who in your life right now are, are you praying for? What I mean is, is there, is there any name that comes to mind when you think, I would love to see the Lord bring them to faith? I'm praying for them. If you don't have anyone in mind, start thinking, start praying about that. I'm not even saying you don't, I'm not pressuring you to do anything else beyond that right now. Just pray for them. Pray that the Lord would bring them to faith. And, and feel free to ask your brothers and sisters in this congregation, here's, here's who I'm praying for. Will you join me in praying for their salvation? For, further, I encourage you to ask someone uh, of the same gender in this covenant community if they'll meet with you weekly or bi-weekly or monthly, something for the purpose of discipleship. But you'll seek that out. Now, now understand this, it, it usually is done this way, that the person desiring to be discipled goes and asks someone to do it for them. I think sometimes everyone's like, I, you know, it's like the eighth grade dance, you know, I think they'll ask me if they want to dance, and I think they'll ask me, I don't know, something like that, it's the way I remember it. Uh, but, but this idea that Listen, if you're the one wanting discipleship, if that's what you desire, go, go ask somebody. They don't have to be massively older than you. They don't have to be the most mature Christian on the planet. Ask somebody, seriously. Um, and if you get asked, be willing to give time to make disciples. And, and you might begin this time by, by simply asking, where do you see your greatest weakness in following the Lord right now? Where do you see your greatest weakness in following the Lord right now? And let that be a starting off point. 
Uh, seek a discipleship relationship with someone in the faith. And, and so then the last thing Jesus does in our passage is, is he reminds them of his forever presence. Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is always with you. This is a great encouragement to us. Jesus is with you when you are suffering ridicule for standing by biblical convictions. Jesus is with you when you're sharing the gospel with someone who needs to hear it and you're paranoid and you're terrified. What are they going to think of me? What if I say it wrong? What if all these things going on? Jesus is with you in that moment and he's only called you to be bold enough to share the gospel. The results are not on you. Um, Jesus is with you when you pursue observance to all his commands. And Jesus is with you when you have failed to obey. And it's in those moments that you need to remember that Jesus is always with us, right? Particularly in those moments of failure because no one who is sick and in their right mind is going to run away from a doctor. And so after failure, you must run towards Jesus who has authority in heaven and earth, who has laid down his life for for your salvation, right? Including all who are here today who trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation, So brothers, sisters, may we be disciples who are making disciples so that God is glorified and we are satisfied in all that he has for us. Let us pray. Father, grow our love for you. Grow our love for our neighbor who may be a complete mess, but who needs Jesus just like we do. Teach us to trust and to love the instruction of your word. Give us hearts that seek sanctification, not in our power, not in our own ability, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Give us greater desire to see our own hearts and the hearts of all in this covenant family and the hearts of all who live in this city and region, that all hearts would look to you for salvation and for satisfaction, to you who are our friend, our redeemer our one ancient hope for salvation, our one genuine need, our true north, our, our Savior. And we ask this in the name of the Holy One of Israel, Jesus Christ. Amen.